Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 for 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. And by the time you're hearing this, it will be just one short week away from night one of the NFL Draft. With that said, I think it's most important to talk to the people who I truly believe have their fingers on the pulse of what is happening inside the organizations that are most likely to take a quarterback in the first round of this year's draft. And reminder, on draft night, on night one next Thursday, we will be coming to you live on the 444 YouTube channel. Myself, the man, John Paulson, Scott Smith, and Anthony Staggs, all together with guests throughout the evening discussing future bets, ongoing live reactions and analysis. Also, a night one tracker with our fantasy blurbs of every single pick. Not just wide receivers, not just one running back who will likely go on Thursday, but every single pick within those first 31 selections. So, until then, I think it's time to get started with the draft and Charlotte Observer's own Mike K. He is the great Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. And Mike, it only makes sense to begin with the question on everyone's mind since Bryce Young has already surged to minus 1,000 odds and above at some places. So in your mind, who in Carolina's organization is lobbying for each of BY, CJ Stroud, and I'm still hearing some Anthony Richardson rumors, all who have been rumored to go number one overall at this time? I think it's a hodgepodge, man. I, I think they're like they're it's not like this is West Side story where there's different clicks of like, hey, we're CJ, hey, we're Bryce, hey, we're team Anthony Richardson. But I think I think they like all three of those guys, but I do think it's gonna come down to if they pick at one, either Bryce or CJ. And I think the front office, which has constantly compared Bryce Young to Russell Wilson is a clear indicator of of the interest in Bryce. Now, Panthers GM Scott Fitter was in Seattle. Assistant GM Dan Morgan was in Seattle. When they drafted uh, Russell in 2012, they've talked about John Schneider's conviction for him. They've used that as an example. Scott Fitter has never made a, a, a first overall pick before. So this is all new to him. Um, this is He's truly got the reins this year, and I think he wants to make a splash. And I think... Bryce Young has really impressed them on the trail to the draft. I do the reports of it being Bryce from the jump, I think are kind of, I, I don't want to say revisionist, but I, I don't know how accurate that is just from my reporting uh, because I have heard a lot of CJ love uh, over the last two months. And I do think CJ is a guy that the coaching staff likes as well. So um, I don't think it's a push and pull from the front office and the coaching staff, but I do think, you know, there are pockets of the organization who really like both at the same time. And I think that's the discussion. And in the span of that two months, we have even heard that Fitter and this organization would be willing to trade the number one overall pick. And I just assumed it was a smokescreen to reach out to Houston in order to get the number two and a late mid-round selection just to get value. Do you think there was any validity or is there still validity to that potential trade? I think initially they would have listened, but I think as this process has kind of turned, they just finished up their uh, 30 visits with both Levis and CJ Stroud. 
I think they know. I mean, I, I, I do think they know without knowing, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think it's finalized, but I think they there's a general sense in the organization, a clarity. Um, and once you get that clarity, it's kind of hard to put it back in the box and go with the number two guy. I spoke to Dan Morgan well before this pre-draft uh, press conference from yesterday, and he told me he did not the, – the Panthers didn't want to take a guy who other teams didn't want. And I think that's really important to, to kind of to focus on, right? Like the Texans very clearly like Bryce Young. Um, and so to get to one, it does kind of feel like Bryce or bust in a lot of ways, both in hindsight and foresight. And I think had they traded back, I think they would have been comfortable with Stroud. Um, I still think they would potentially be comfortable with Stroud at one, but I do think from the tea leaves, it does kind of look like Bryce Young's the guy. What percentage are you currently giving Young and the three quarterbacks we believe they could pick at number one since I believe both of us think Will Levis isn't really an option here? Um, I think it's gonna it's down to two, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, and I'm sure I'll regret saying that, but I have it as about a 75 to 25 in favor of Bryce Young. Um, now, we don't know what came out of that meeting yesterday with CJ Stroud. I mean, I, I do think if you're changing your, your board based on one meeting, that's kind of yikes. But I do think that some people are kind of just rushing to be definitive. And I, I don't know if that's the right course of action as a guy who's covered the, who covered the Eagles for five years prior to this. Uh, anything can happen. All picks can be traded. And therefore I do think that Bryce Young is the likely target. Well, that's what I want to end with, actually, is do you think anything will happen? Do you think that 75-25 notion in favor of Young can switch? Because by the time we're listening to this, there's still six, seven days left for this organization to ponder that last visit with Stroud. Uh, Josh Norris, our mutual friend on the Underdog Show, has, has mentioned time and time again that Fitterer has a history of making a last-second decision and switching his tendency. So do you think it could switch by night one? Josh is a wonderful man with great hair, and I think he—I think he's got a point. I mean, I think you—I think you have to kind of like I—it's tough, right? From a beat writer standpoint, you have to take the information and and discern the truth here. And I think they have done a very good job of protecting the truth. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if the Texans got last froggy at the last minute. I think that Fitterer would jump. That said, that's a really hard discussion to have with an owner and and a head coach if they're dead set on a quarterback on a specific quarterback. Josh might have the best hair among us, but you, sir, I still prefer to come to for my Panthers organization information. He is Mike underscore E underscore K with an E at the end of his last name on Twitter. Thanks so much for the time, Mike. Thanks for the amazing introduction and, and the lively questions. I appreciate them. Not only has he been covering the Colts since 2011, but is currently doing so with ESPN's 107.5 The Fan as a premier voice in Indy. It is none other than the great Kevin Bowen. And I want to begin, Kevin, with what you're hearing that's coming out of the Colts front office at this time, given that, as you know, there are a number of ways this number four pick could go, a trade up or down included. Yeah, you know, it's kind of fascinating to be in this market. And for once, the Colts are the ones, you know, either not drafting number one overall with Peyton or Andrew Luck waiting there, 
Um, but they have such a big question at, at, at the most important position in sports. So it's a little bit of an unusual time for this fan base to kind of experience that. Um, I fully expect them to draft a quarterback uh, at four. I know, um, you know there may be some scar tissue. Colts fans like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine if we don't take one? Uh, but I think with Shane Steichen, especially in the mold, just kind of giving him that opportunity to work with somebody at that position after such a revolving door that, that, that they've had, you're almost backed into a corner. Uh, this will be, I think it's the seventh straight year where they haven't started the same uh, week one quarterback and back-to-back seasons. You know, there's a possibility if it's Gardner Minshew in day one, that'll extend another year. And that would be one of the longest in NFL history. So um, again, I fully expect them to take a quarterback. The question is just, What'll be the first three off the board, and then how do they react to that? Let me ask you about Minshew, because on a scale of 1 to 10, how comfortable is this team beginning the season with him? Because I would imagine it ranges broadly from perhaps an eight games worth of confidence to a full bridge year's worth. Yeah, I would say very confident. You know, obviously the Shane Steichen history helps you out in that, you know, he has not only been with Shane Steichen, but he started games Mm -hmm. for Shane Steichen. So, you know, he can obviously – you know, help out the rookie quarterback and say, hey, Shane's been in my ear and this is what he likes, this is what he doesn't like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, to be Minshew, I think, checks a lot of boxes, whether or not he's going to be your bridge or he's just going to be your backup. Um, I think he's pretty low maintenance, which is probably what you would want if he is going to be kind of in that backup role. Um, he's a guy that started 12 games as a rookie, so while he didn't have the fanfare as you know a top five, top ten pick coming out of Washington State, he still was thrown into the fire in his first season. So you know he can be relatable in that sense. Um, and then again, he, he knows who Shane is and kind of how he ticks. The offensive system will certainly be tailored around that that young QB. But I think the contract that the Colts gave him indicates it as well, John, and that they don't really know how much they are going to need him in year one. Certainly you've seen quarterbacks that have had great successes that have sat year one. You've seen others that have played year one. It's looked really bad and then have gone on to have great careers. Peyton Manning probably here locally being the one that you know fans remember the the most. So I think Minshew um, is in a very kind of flexible setting and kind of has the personality and the background uh, to be able to handle that. Are there particular players, whether they be quarterback or not, that you think would make everyone in this war room high five and immediately run to the clock if they were available at number four? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I would think there'd be a lot of, lot of obsession over Bryce Young. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I know Chris Bowd is a big traits guy, but you know, to me, more than anything, you know, poise is what stands out about Bryce Young. That's a really hard thing to teach. And I think he brings that. Um, you know, Dame Brugler, I think a pretty well-respected NFL draft analyst, has has said the phrase before, you know, you're not looking for a passer at quarterback, you're looking for a creator. And, and it seems like Bryce Young kind of fits that mold. Uh, but outside of that, I, I don't really know at four if someone maybe jumps out there. I mean, certainly – Will Anderson, if you could pencil him, pencil him in for double-digit sacks for the next decade, I mean, how would you not want that? And the Colts have longed for kind of that young pass rusher since the days of Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. But I think with every quarterback, as much excitement as you're going to have, you just don't truly know until you get them into your system, into this building, into a professional environment, and see how they grow and see how they develop. On the opposite end of that spectrum, is there a player or position you've seen consistently mocked to the team by the public that makes you scoff? And just by based on what you've heard or what you know and covering this organization for as long as you have. Yeah, again, the only thing that would make me scoff would be anything other than quarterback. I, I, I really <laughs> think, and I haven't said this in years past, I, I, I think the national you know pundits, if you will, they have it pegged pretty accurately in that it, it's going to be a quarterback. It's just who or how is that selection going to be made? 
Um, again, when when you're at when you go four twelve and one, when you have had this revolving door at quarterback, when you have a top five pick who hire a head coach that has all this quarterback background, you know it'd be such a disservice in my opinion not to go that route. Are there perfect ready made answers? No, but again, it, is there ever really? And so I I think that's why it's time for Chris Bauer to take a swing. You know, when, when you look at the Colts and you look at Ballard's history, Ballard said in his first ever press conference. It's not about one guy. It's not about one position. Well, when you have Andrew Luck, that can be pretty easy to say. When you no longer have him, you know, putting a major investment into that position and taking a chance there, I think is so paramount. Um, I think we saw this year in the AFC, John. You know, all seven playoff teams, all of them quarterbacked by guys that they drafted. You know, all of them twenty-seven or younger. Um, so that that's the makeup of this conference. It, it's kind of like, do you want to join it or do you want to keep keep on getting? you know, passed by that conference moving forward. I think that's a question that the Colts have to ask themselves if they decide to continue to ignore a quarterback. Well, I know you are a busy man, especially this time of the year. So I have no choice but to quickly put your feet to the fire and ask all things considered, if the draft goes as you expect it to go, who do you believe the Colts will take at number four overall? Yeah, I mean, assuming it, you know, Will Levis, or excuse me, assuming C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Anderson are off the board in some order. Uh, then, you know, obviously Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are the two guys there. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I have strong conviction on internally how they feel on either. I think there would be um, reasons to draft both of them. You know, I, I, I think everything that Levis has gone through, how people view him in Lexington, I think that would, you know, be in high regard for the Colts and projecting a guy into kind of more of an NFL system. At the same time, Richardson's traits are mouthwatering, and Chris Ballard is obsessed with those physical traits. And Shane Steichen's a guy that has great quarterback history with a variety of styles. So, you know, that would seem to fit as well. Um, if there was one consistent that Ballard and Steichen have talked about on the field over the years, it is accuracy. And that's probably the one thing that I keep on coming back to as all right, find me something similar that both of them have said over the years because Bauer's not saying anything right now. And the one thing is probably accuracy. So given that I'll give the slight, you know, edge to Levis, but again, John, I know it doesn't make for, you know, maybe great, you know, podcasting, but I, I just don't have a strong conviction on either. And I think part of that is Sykin's resume speaks to a variety of styles, which if you're a Colts fan, I think that's gotta be pretty, uh, pretty attractive. I think putting Levis in that mix as an insider is something I haven't seen the public do heavily yet. So honestly, that's a terrific opinion and we appreciate it. Remember, he is Kevin Bowen, KBowen1070 on Twitter. And again, thank you for the time, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate it. I sought out the most informed representative of Seattle's organization and after a Seahawks Reddit thread and the ensuing comments somehow reached an agreement, which the internet never does, on their most accurate journalist, it only made sense to bring on my good friend and apparently a renowned Seahawks beat reporter. Wait, really? Is this He's true? Are you true? Oh, Danny Kelly. <laughs> I am not kidding, Danny. Wow. Reddit actually came to a consensus that said you were the most accurate Seahawks writer. Wow. How does that feel? That's amazing. I actually did not have, I would not have guessed that. I thought you were about ready to like razz me and be like, well, we tried to find the most accurate one, but he couldn't come on. So we got Danny instead. 
<laughs> that would have been a great bit, honestly. But no, I am not kidding. And yeah. I got really excited because I said, oh, I have that guy's number. Let's reach out then. So That's awesome. you're here to discuss the Seahawks selections at 5 and 20. And I think we need yeah. to begin broadly because I would argue they are luxury picks. So in your mind, what are the top three positions you believe the team has whittled their choices down to? It's tough because, you know, it could be anything. I think for me, defensive end and defensive interior are two big ones for the Seahawks. Um, and I think those could definitely be, you know, obviously that number five pick, either one of those could happen. And that's like what most people are guessing could happen. And then I would say um, throw in there a number three receiver for me is pretty important just because I think depending on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to stay healthy and, you know, like at full speed, a hundred percent of the time is kind of like, not maybe the best idea. And like in the past, they just have not been able to like have anyone that's worthwhile at number at the number three spot. So having a little bit more depth at receiver to me is important. And I think that could be another first round target for them. And then linebacker is, is an important one too. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily something that they'll look for in the first round, but I think it's, it's a big priority for them to kind of like continue adding to that position this off season. Um, obviously losing Cody Barton, Jordan Brooks is coming off an ACL injury and he probably is not going to be ready to go at the beginning of the year. And so, you know, and Bobby Wagner is awesome and he's Bobby Wagner, but he's definitely not the player he used to be. He's 32 years old. And so I think they have to have a little bit more of a plan there and they don't really, I mean, Devin Bush is sort of, I think just like, you know, he's like, we'll see what happens here and maybe we'll find something. Maybe we'll, you know, get lightning in a bottle with him, but probably not. And so I think that's another position that they'll, they'll invest in, in this draft. Do you think they are grouping interior and edge together as basically looking for some kind of pass rush? For instance, if Jalen Carter is there, do you think yeah. he takes precedence over an athletic pass rusher like a Nolan Smith or Lucas Van Ness? Oh, gosh. You know, that's tough. I really don't know. I think just – I think what you said is right, though. Like, they just want pass rush. I don't know if they mm -hmm. necessarily would say, oh, we need an edge rusher over an interior defender. Um, I do think Jalen Carter is going to be in the mix, assuming that he passes um, some of the character stuff that they've got going on, obviously, in, in their scouting department. Um, that's something that Pete Carroll has sort of stressed lately is like getting guys that they are 100 percent sure are going to like work their asses off, like have that grit, like the grit thing has been a huge part of their their program for years now. And they made that a big part of their process last year, especially I think they were like basically less less likely to make exceptions for guys. And that was a big part of the reason I think that their draft class was so good. You know, also they got a little lucky The you know, the board fell, fell their way and all that stuff. But I do think, you know, the, the character thing is going to be a big part of it. And so I think, you know, with whispers of Jalen Carter, having you having to push him in practice and all these things, not to mention the off field stuff that's gone on this off season. I don't really know for sure if they're going to pick him or not, if they would be, you know, willing to pick him at number five. But I think, you know, it, on the field, he's like a perfect <laughs> help for them. Like he maybe even like a solution to what they've got going on. Um, you know, they just didn't, they didn't have a ton of uh, interior push last year. Overall, their, their pass rush just didn't really quite get home as much as you wanted it to. Um, I think they've got some pieces there that are like intriguing going forward, but like at the same time, they don't have any real stars at pass rusher. And so um, it's, a, it, again, it's a position they need to keep like adding guys to and kind of like had, let the cream rise to the top kind of deal. You mentioned receiver. Do you think they have their choices prioritized? Do you think there are a couple players they are ranking at receiver since they might have their pick of the litter at 20? Yeah, I mean, uh, my dream as a Seahawks fan 
is for them to get Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. And I think, you know, there's a reasonable chance he falls to number 20, um, you know, because there's like size concerns. There's overall speed explosiveness concerns. Maybe there's concerns that he's only a slot type guy at the next level. I do. I do kind of think he has the opportunity and uh, ability to play on the outside, maybe not like full time, but I think he could kind of be like utilize him all over the formation type of player. And so to me, he would be the perfect complement to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like a guy that can win over the middle of the field, get you first downs. He's just so precise as a route runner. I think that would fit well with Geno Smith. Um, you know, he gives some, he gives them some yards after the catch ability, which they don't really have. Honestly, with Tyler Lockett is it's like, you know, it, it's comedy what he does. He literally just falls as soon as he catches the ball. Um, DK Metcalf is just not like a big yak guy. Like he, he can definitely like run away from the defense if he gets the opportunity, but he's not like quick and, and elusive in the short area. Um, so to me, Smith and Jigway would be the perfect complement to those two guys. I've, I've definitely considered Jordan Addison at that spot. I think, you know, the size concerns are, are, are a real thing. He's 173 pounds. That's a little bit scary. It, it is definitely the way that it, the NFL is like trending in terms of like size is not as important at the receiver position. But again, it's just like, you'd love it if he was maybe like 185, 190 at least. Um, but I do think he's a really good route runner. Again, it's kind of the same deal as Smith and Jigba. Like he gives you another guy that you can go to on high leverage situations, like third down in the red zone, all that stuff. He's a pretty good deep threat. He kind of opens up the field that way. So Smith and Jigba and Addison, I think would be my top two guys there. And I, I do think Zay Flowers would be a good fit. Um, and then, you know, Quentin Johnston is kind of a mystery box. Like he's got like elite potential, but I think he's still a little bit, um, not like a complete product at this point. So I, I would be excited with any of those four guys though. You've said a ton of nuggets nuggets so far, and yet you have not mentioned quarterback. And so can yeah. you make any sense of this front office and coaching staff, basically throwing a public party <laughs> with yeah, every visit weird. of the top four quarterbacks? It, it's it's weird because I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, oh, this is so clearly just them trying to get people to think they're into oh, yeah. this quarterback. Like, it's just like obscenely obvious, like what they're doing. They're taking selfies and then sending it directly to their social media guys and like having them post it kind of deal, um, which to me is just like, so what's going on here? It's the Windhorse fingers. Like, why would they do that? Why would they be so like obvious and, and like clear about this? Um, to me, that just reeks of like them basically, you know, trying to get the NFL and, and other teams to believe that they'd be willing to take a quarterback. But on the other hand, maybe they're just like reverse psychology this whole thing. And maybe they're just like effing with us. I could see that being the case too. Um, I, I do remember like in the past, they've been very, you know, like secretive about who they're trying to meet with. And, and in the past, they've not even like talked to guys that they've drafted. So <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where truly just impossible to read it. If you're, if you're really trying, I do think, they would be willing to take a quarterback if it was the right situation and the right guy. Like from my point of view, Anthony Richardson is sort of like the perfect pick for them at number five. If they do go that route, just because they have Geno Smith and, and they, and he's proven that they can win with Geno Smith um, that he provides, I think what it would be a really good bridge quarterback for Anthony Richardson, because Anthony Richardson has started 13 games. Like his, his traits are like off the charts. Good but I just really think he could use more reps to learn, like learn how to run an offense. Like that is just, you know, it's just really hard to come in and play in the NFL and have to learn the language, have to learn how to do play calls, left have to learn how to run a specific offense. Like you just need reps, reps, reps. And so I think he could definitely benefit any, any quarterback, any rookie quarterback really could, but especially him with only 13 starts. So he 
to me is like a perfect example of like get him in here let him sit behind gino there's probably not gonna be a lot of calls to get him in there um you know assuming gino doesn't completely crater in, in 2023 and then you know unleash him from there and they have like a pretty good support system around him hopefully the defense will get better and then you know he could be i think a good success story in the nfl just because he lands in a situation where he's not rushed and he's not asked to like carry the team so to me the anthony richardson thing makes a ton of sense for the seahawks um and you know if, if they did make that pick i would not be disappointed well finally let's get straight to it then because i'm curious if you think there's a particular player that would make them switch from positional drafting and instead go best player available on their approach. Because a quarterback or edge, for example, an elite quality player may not be there at 20, but there's so much depth at those positions, they can get a stud at 20. But a, who we already mentioned, Jalen Carter, CJ Stroud, who's suddenly expected to drop, right, and Anthony right. Richardson, they won't be there at 20. So do you think one of those players stand out and makes the Seahawks run to the board and make that pick at five? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think there's a lot of smoke that they like Tyree Wilson. Um, and he's not the type of player that you're going to be able to get at 20, just like physically wise. Like he's just so big, so strong. Um, such a, they love their length, man, whether it's cornerbacks or that wingspan yeah. of Tyree, they love their length there. It's, it's an important part of like <clears throat> their, their evaluation process. I know that they have, or at least they had in the past. I don't know if they use them quite as stringently anymore, but they had like arm length benchmarks for corners and things like that where it's like basically it's important to them because like it's you know it is a game of inches and you know a guy with really long arms essentially if you lose a step you can still make a play whereas if you have short arms and you lose a step it's like that's a touchdown maybe and so i think they look at it that way like it's just like winning in the margins winning you know with that little bit of like extra length that you have and in terms of like pass rushers that's getting your hand up and getting your hand on a ball it's getting guy off your body it's um you know, having a little bit more leverage. It's just like those little things I think really matter to them. And so Jalen or uh, Tyree Wilson to me is a player. I think that they're, they're very much into and, and they like him a lot. Um, if, you know, if a guy like Will Anderson's there at five on accident for some reason, like he falls to like, maybe they do have four quarterbacks go off the board or maybe Jalen Carter goes ahead of him. You know, I think that'd be the type of player that they're like definitely willing to, um, take there instead of like a quarterback or instead of trying to move back because you know the Seahawks they love to move back in the draft too and pick up more you know you know bites at the apple and so um I think in terms of my mind and hopefully what they've got going on it's like there's probably a few blue chip players blue players um that'll come in and be like a starter right away and, and make a massive impact or you got a guy like Anthony Richardson who can be like you know, shoot for the moon type of guy that could really take your franchise over the top for the next decade. Um, those are the two types of players they should be looking for there. And if they don't, if they don't have an opportunity to get either of those things, then maybe they do try to trade back. We'll see. He is famous Seahawks beat reporter, Danny Kelly of <laughs> the ringer. Danny, I appreciate the time and we'll definitely bring you back on post draft. All right. Sounds great, man. You know his work from Football Outsiders, and as a former colleague of mine, currently at Roto World, he is the great Rivers McCown. And Rivers, when I began thinking on who I needed to interview to give listeners the most accurate representation of the Texans and what they are thinking at picks number 2 and 12, I genuinely and sadly think no one pays more attention to this organization than you. My, my depressing uh, thoughts and ideas outlive me and venture into the Twitter sphere. And that's what I'm here for. 
Well, it only makes sense we begin with pick number two. So go ahead and walk us through what you believe is the ongoing thought process of the Texans with that pick, since that basically dictates the position they'll take at 12. Well, I mean, basically at this point, what we know from the outside is that they are torn on TJ Shroud. There are factions of the building that want TJ Shroud. There are factions that want to do something a little off script. And I don't really know how this is going to end up yet. This is kind of what happens when you have three people in the power positions and, you know, we don't know who to listen to anymore. So my guess is probably that D'Amico is going to win out on this, but I, you know, it's hard to actually say, and it's hard to know if ownership is going to be okay with passing on a quarterback, given how empty the stands are right now. And when you say D'Amico will be okay with this, and they'll lean towards him, does that mean that you believe Will Anderson in this quote-unquote perfect grade is the pick at number two? Or do you think as NFL Network's own Lance Zierlein has been hinting, perhaps Tyree Wilson is over Anderson in their big board? I do think that Tyree Wilson has a real chance here. I really do. Hmm. I think that the length is a big differentiator for him. And I know that D'Amico kind of enjoys the, the idea of that. Uh, I think he has more the more of the, the uh, prototype size for how he feels about a, a four down lineman. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think it's definitely in play. And I think I can find in my heart where that draft board would say Tyree Wilson's better than Will Anderson. Well, then let's jump right to number 12, because logically, I think what a lot of people, including myself, or struggling to wrap their head around is that the Texans, without a quarterback, now have either Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson in the scenario. What then happens at number 12? Because we would think C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson are off the board by that time. I think that Will Levis, that there's a chance of that. I think the trading up for him makes some sense. I don't know that they like Anthony Richardson. I would love if they did, but <laughs> if you look at how... They, they've kind of done their pre-draft process. They didn't really bring him in for a visit. They gave him kind of a Zoom thing. Like, like <clears throat> if you if you kind of connect the dots there, I kind of think they're less interested in him the other th than the other three prospects. So I think it's possible that they trade up for Levis. Uh, I also think it's possible that they trade down entirely out of that pick because there's not a whole lot of value in this draft, in my opinion, after the first six or seven guys go off the board. So then you were suggesting that they have Levis and then Stroud behind him as their rankings behind Bryce Young, because obviously they now know, or at least assume, they are not going to get Bryce Young, who they've been linked to this entire process, as their number one player. Yeah, if, if it was CJ Stroud number one, they turn on the Bryce Young card in a heartbeat and everybody's happy. Um, but, but yeah, I do think that Stroud is probably only slightly if that over Levis I think they're they're both kind of on the same tier and I do think that Richardson isn't in the conversation for them in that case what odds are you giving them to actually leave these first two picks they make and wherever they pick in that range first two picks without a quarterback well I think that if you look at what's happening just today this, this Wednesday morning this Trey Lance stuff coming out yeah I think I think that that's kind of a major tell about well, we got to cover our bases here. What if we want somebody else? And I don't think that would be a bad move. 
by by any means. It would be a lot more promising to me than Will Levis. If I'm being honest, but uh, you know, you also have to satisfy the 49ers and that kind of thing, and that's not easy. And you know, you get into how much you're willing to pay. You're going to give a second round pick for a guy who only has three years of contract left, or two years in the fifth year option, actually. But 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 yeah, I think that's an option too. So you believe then that if it's not, or if they trade up for Will Levis, that, or if they don't trade up for Will Levis, I should say, that Trey Lance does become maybe a factor in all this on night one. Oh, yeah. I think that could, I could easily see them trying to backpedal off, off the quarterbacks in this class and saying, well, we got Trey Lance. He could have been number one in this class. Nobody else has the physical tools that he has in this class except for Richardson, who is inaccurate in our opinion. So we like Trey Lance. So here we go. And then just for the sake of our homework, is there any other position they're actually sitting there thinking at 12, if they don't trade back, they can take if the quarterbacks they want are off the board? I mean, <laughs> the way that this team is, you can sure. you can put pretty much anything here and be okay with it. Um, I think it would be very difficult for D'Amico to leave this first for the first three picks he has without a any kind of front seven player like he he needs he knows he needs edge help in a big way this team doesn't have like a franchise guy there or even really a secondary guy unless Jonathan Grenard comes out of it so they, they kind of had a guy to do something about that about that for sure and I can see them going Lucas Van Ness or somebody like that in a trade down maybe even at 12 I think it's on the table he is Rivers McCown on Twitter and that's where you can console him on night one we appreciate the time Rivers <laughs> please don't console me please just leave me alone on twitter <laughs> next up former tennessean journalist and the current afc south reporter for fox representing the titans he is none other than nashville's own ben arthur and ben I would love to know what you're hearing regarding these swirling trade rumors surrounding the Titans and the odds they end up actually staying put at 11 on night one. Yeah, the, the Titans are really one of the fascinating teams in this draft, right? Because we know they, they have Ryan Tannehill. He's only under contract for one more year. He's a good, not great quarterback. So and they they drafted Malik Willis last year. He 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 showed last season that he wasn't quite ready. Um, of course, you hope he develops, but but he wasn't quite there. So so in this kind of quarterback uncertainty. So being at eleven, it could go a number of different ways for the Titans, right? I would not be so surprised if one of those QBs um, that they've identified or that, that they like, that they drop a little bit, the Titans try and move up for them. Um, it's possible. I don't know how possible, but it's possible. One of them, one of those top four falls to the Titans at 11, but then I don't think we have to, we can rule out the Titans trading back from number 11 because they only have three picks in the top 146. And this is a team that has holes everywhere on the offense um, you know, wide receiver, O-line, um, tight end, they need depth there. Uh, this is an offense that needs a, a complete makeover. And so th there's an argument to be had that the, the Titans trying to go after one of these top four guys and not really having the assets or the means to build an offense around those guys, uh, I, I think we have to look at that as well. So 
Uh, what I've heard with the Titans is kind of been all over the board because I think it really depends on on kind of what happens at the top. Like there's all this talk about C.J. Stroud. Is he going to drop? Uh, I think if he's a guy that drops, the Titans could go after him. I, I, I truly believe that. But uh, until kind of the draft comes, I, I think that the Titans are very much in, in wait and see mode. Well, let's run with that idea because assuming they do trade up for the quarterback position in particular, who in your mind is their preferred target, assuming Bryce Young goes number one overall? I think they're – well, the, the preferred target I, I think should be C.J. Stroud. I, I think this is the guy who obviously put up massive numbers at Ohio State, clearly had the talent around him, but I think he's a guy you, you look at w- would have – a uh, very long career in the NFL, 10, 15 years, super accurate, um, well poised. Uh, I think in that Georgia game uh, in, in the national semifinal, we saw that escapability uh, that w- was kind of the last big question mark that NFL people had about his game. Is he just going to be a, a pocket guy? But we, he showed that maybe he's not the fastest guy or, or the best scrambler, but if you if he needs to extend plays, get out of the pocket, he showed he could move a little bit. So I think of those guys, C.J. Stroud would be number one, but I, I think Anthony Richardson could, could be up there um, as well. I, I mean, you talk about his upside, that there's probably not a guy in this draft that has more upside than him, obviously needs to play more football, only a, a one-year starter at Florida. We know that uh, completion rate wasn't great right under 60%, but you look at the tools he has and and with the right development and the right talent around him, I think long-term he's a guy you could be really happy with. Uh, So I I think those two guys, I I think they have no chance at Bryce Young. So I I don't think we should even be discussing that. And then I'm not as high on Will Levis, but I think CJ Stroud would be their top quarterback to get if they can get him. And then Anthony Richardson at number two. On the other end of that, the scenario leaves them stuck at 11 and the quarterback's taken before them. So what do you think happens if they end up staying at 11? Is there a certain position they're targeting? Yeah, it it could go in a a number of ways. Uh, I think wide receiver is their absolute biggest need. Uh, they Outside of Traylon Burks, their first-round pick last year, they, they don't really have much of a receiver room. Uh, they release Robert Woods. They don't have a real veteran receiver, and they don't have a lot of depth around Traylon Burks. And they had one of the worst producing receiving rooms in the NFL last season. That's partially why their offense was so bad. So getting a Jackson uh, Jackson uh, Smith and Jigba from o- Ohio State or uh, Zay Flowers, who, who's personally my favorite receiver in the draft uh, out of Boston College. I like him a lot. Jordan Addison from USC. I think wide receiver, if they're not going to get that quarterback, I, I think wh- they absolutely have to address the wide receiver position. And then out after that, I, I think offensive line. Uh, Lawan obviously isn't in the picture anymore. They released their longtime center, Ben Jones. Uh, they, they, don't, they only have maybe one or two definitive starters right now up front. So I think it all kind of depends on the value they see of the guys that are available to them at 11 if they stay stay there. Again, they only have three picks in the top 146. So I think it would make a lot of sense if you're not getting a quarterback to probably trade back 
get some more draft capital to be able to address both wide receiver and, and O-line uh, pretty high in the, in the draft. And I find it very informative that you are hammering that idea in particular home since a lot of the public mocks you see out there had the Titans moving up. No one's actually tinkering with the scenario that actually with so few picks, they can move down. And finally, just to continue deciphering what they could possibly do beyond a trade up or down scenario, do you have any leans on the offensive linemen in particular, that they're looking at. We know that Peter Skaronsky, for example, could fill in either for Ben Jones or Taylor Luan, as you mentioned. We know that Mike Vrabel was actually at Tennessee's Pro Day working personally with Darnell Wright, who's just a dog, a big football guy that would make so much sense in Vrabel's scheme. But your thoughts on the offensive linemen, they would be targeting if they stay. Yes, yeah, Skaronsky, as you mentioned, Darnell Wright, but I think Paris Johnson Jr., uh, from o Ohio State, he's probably my favorite O-lineman in the draft. Obviously, Vrabel went to Ohio State. Titans Brass was at his pro day. I, I know they got a good uh, look at him, and and he's a you know plug and play left tackle. I, I think, but but I, I do think with Skronsky uh, from from Northwestern, he could potentially give you the most versatility. Uh, he's he's. He's a long, he played left tackle at Northwestern, but but I think with his size, he could potentially be a guard too, and, and a really really good guard. And uh, and as I mentioned, I mean the Titans have so many holes across the O line uh, at tackle and at guard that I think if you get a guy like him, you, you could kind of head into to training camp and figure it figure it out. I mean if if. If you recall, the Titans did get Andre Dillard in free agency, he, former Eagles first-round pick. So if they if they wanted to look at Dillard as their left tackle, at, or at least give him a chance with Peter Skronsky, uh, he, he could come in and, and be a guard, or, or you could have him compete with Andre Dillard for that left tackle spot. I feel like with Peter Skronsky, you might have the most flexibility in terms of what you want to do up front. But I think with overall offensive linemen, I would say Paris Johnson Jr. Jr. is is my favorite for Tennessee. He is Ben Y, the letter Y, Arthur, on Twitter, and more importantly, a finalist for the Therese Paler Emerging Writer of the Year Award. Thanks for stopping by, Ben. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me.